It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, March 13th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. First up, KQED climate reporter Laura Clivens drops by the California Report to share her expertise about climate change and its direct impact on this extreme winter weather we've seen over the past several years. Climate anxiety, says Clivens, is a legitimate response. But where do we go from there? National Native News takes us to the front lines of the Iditarod sled dog race before KVMR's Felton Pruitt speaks to Scott Lay, the Nevada County Superintendent of Schools. How will the influx of snow days schools have been forced to take affect school schedules? The details up ahead. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. The town of Pajaro in Monterey County is underwater after a levee broke on the Pajaro River during this weekend's storms. Officials say they have evacuated more than 2,000 people and rescues are ongoing. Officials knew for decades that the levee could fail, according to the L.A. Times, but they didn't prioritize repairing it, in part because, quote, they believed it did not make financial sense to protect the low-income area. State contractors are working to patch the Pajaro levee with rock and rubble ahead of another storm expected to arrive tonight. Meanwhile, officials in Monterey County say it could be months before people are allowed to return home to Pajaro. KQED's Catherine Monahan has more from the flooded Central Coast community. The Pajaro River is gushing brown and thick. Families are standing along its bank, gazing across at the small community of Pajaro, which is completely flooded. Sara Lopez evacuated at about 1 o'clock Saturday morning. She says firefighters and police came and said the water was on its way. About 3,000 people live in Pajaro, mostly Latino farm workers. This flood is expected to hit them especially hard financially, because under food and safety laws, flooded agricultural fields must sit fallow for 30 to 60 days to let any possible contamination subside. Here's Monterey County Supervisor Luis Alejo. So that basically means that food that would otherwise be grown and harvested will not be available. And also the, the thousands of jobs that would be available to farm workers will not be available. Ramiro Ortiz Calderon is standing by the river with his wife and daughter. His house is flooded, so is his car, which he would have needed to get to work. Now he thinks he'll have no work. And he's worried about theft. In this situation, He says people had to leave all their stuff behind in their houses, and now others will come and steal cars and tires and everything. The evacuation order is in place indefinitely, with another storm forecast to hit the area Monday night. For the California Report, I'm Catherine Monaghan. We've been bringing you the latest on all the storms across California this winter, and boy, has there been a lot. After three years of living in a drought, many Californians are celebrating rain and snowfall. But if you're like me, you might be feeling overwhelmed by the drastic change in weather. So I've enlisted KQED climate reporter Laura Clivens to help us make sense of these changes and tackle the anxiety that may come with that. Laura, we've had atmospheric river after atmospheric river. Residents in San Bernardino County are still dealing with the impact of a blizzard two weeks ago, and we just heard about the situation in Pajaro. 
Are these the impacts of climate change? So it's tricky to give a definitive yes or no to the answer of attributing a specific storm to climate change. But it is a definite yes that climate change is making these storms stronger. A warmer atmosphere allows the air to hold more moisture. And so that makes storms more intense. And then studies are showing that these events are getting more frequent and that heavy rains are lasting longer also. And when I first became climate aware, if you will, around 2018, I was hearing and reading that these kind of extreme weather patterns were 20, maybe 50 years away. Now it feels like it's right outside our doorstep. What's changed? So this is a hard one because it it gets at human psychology. It gets at what humans want to pay attention to or have the capacity to pay attention to at any given time. So the devastating impacts of a warmer atmosphere, those have been known for a long time. And the most recent reports by climate scientists, these are the IPCC reports you might hear about, they warn of very serious effects of climate change happening not only in the future, but also right now. And so I think for the climate scientists, they're kind of feeling like they're in that movie, Don't Look Up, where Jennifer Lawrence's character is yelling about how this comet's been hurtling towards Earth and no one seems to be listening. Um, you know, several climate scientists said, I feel seen in this in this moment in this movie when that came out. So for those of us experiencing climate anxiety, what should we do? First, I want to normalize that feeling. It's actually a very rational response to a real threat. It is not unhealthy. Um, and then next, I want to encourage people who are feeling this way to find community. There's therapists who are even have a focus on this. They're called climate-aware therapists. Mm. Um, and then there's so many groups that take action on climate um, that all have members of people who probably experienced forms of this, and they can cater to whoever you are in society. And then also give yourself some time and space to process. And then hopefully you'll be able to get to work. And what does that mean, get to work? So a huge piece of dealing with climate anxiety is to feel that you are actually making a difference in this huge problem. Here's a really helpful way to think of it. This is from a climate scientist I like, Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson. Okay. She says, picture three circles, Venn diagram, okay? Mm -hmm. One is what you're good at. One is what drives you, what will get you out of bed in the morning. And then the third is like, what needs doing in climate? Where those three things intersect is a great place for you personally to plug in. Um, and then the last thing I want to say is what is not helpful is is doom and saying we're just done here because that's actually not true. So uh, doom in the way that I think of it is just the same as denial around climate change. It's going to lead to a similar outcome, which is nothing, nothing being done. And finally, are there positive changes to the climate situation? So we saw major legislation in the United States this last year. California has passed a lot of climate legislation. Uh, these are all good beginning steps. We need much, much more. But another positive thing is the whole fact that this story is not yet written, and we get to be alive in this pivotal moment and have our actions truly matter. Thank you so much. That was Laura Clivens, KQED climate reporter. Thank you, Maudie. And to find more resources on how you can respond to climate change, go to kqed.org slash climate action. Support for the California Report comes from Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Stanford Medicine, comprising its School of Medicine and Adult and Children's Health Systems, 
working together to advance knowledge and improve lives. StanfordMedicine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health. On the web at 11thHourRacing.org. And that's the California Report for Monday, March 13th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. The famed Iditarod is well underway, and three Alaska native mushers are battling for the top spot in the 1,000-mile sled dog race from Anchorage to Nome. More on this story ahead in National Native News. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The failure of a bill in South Dakota means there will be no task force studying the welfare of Native children in the state. South Dakota Public Broadcasting's C.J. Keene checks in on what's next. Native children make up a disproportionate number of children in the state's foster care system, which led to the initial interest in the study. Representative Perry Poyer, in a recent appearance on SDPV's In the Moment, says this has been on lawmakers' minds for some time. This has been a long-standing issue. Um, for as long as I could remember, um, at least documented um, about 20 years. It's been at 60%. 60% of children in the system are, are native children, and they wanted to come together and address it. Puyer says the issue requires involvement from state government. Where do we go from now? Well, we got to go back to the drawing table. The fight never ends until positive outcomes happen for native children. And a lot of people will probably say, I I hear this time and time again, why don't the tribes just fix it on their own? We are South Dakotans as well. Yes, we have tribal nations, but there are native children all across the state of South Dakota. It's an issue that touches every corner of South Dakota's native community. Lower Burrell Sioux Tribe Chairman Clyde Estes thanked the bill sponsors. He says he doesn't expect this issue to go away after the session. With some of the sponsors of the bill and uh, the support we have on a tribal and uh, some of our state supporters that uh, we will bring this issue back up again. The fact of the matter is thus as tribal and state leaders need to find uh, a better path forward to work together to put aside our differences to do what's best for all South Dakota children. SB 191 died on the floor of the state house just one step away from the governor's desk. Opponents raised concerns over costs and the members making up the committee. For National Native News, I'm C.J. Keene in Rapid City. A bipartisan bill in Congress aims to bolster tribal law enforcement and combat the epidemic of missing and murdered Indigenous people. As Arizona Public Radio's Ryan Heinches reports, the effort would enhance access to data and increase officer retention. The Badges Act is designed to increase tribal access to the National Missing and Unidentified Persons System and conduct training and information gathering to improve the resolution of missing persons cases. Tribal police often face roadblocks because of a lack of access to federal crime data. The bill would also allow the Bureau of Indian Affairs to conduct its own background checks to to improve the process of hiring officers. Arizona Representative Ruben Gallego is a co-sponsor of the bill. We need to empower these communities to protect themselves and give them their opportunity to really bring safety to their community and doesn't just necessarily have to happen from us at the federal level. Gallego hopes the bill will help with officer recruitment and retention on tribal nations by offering more
for access of culturally appropriate mental health and wellness programs to BIA officers and tribal police and by mandating a report on tribal law enforcement needs. Through the Badges Act, a grant program would be established to support state and tribal investigations of missing and murdered persons and sexual assault cases. For National Native News, I'm Ryan Heinches in Flagstaff, Arizona. As of Monday morning, three Alaska Native mushers were battling it out for the top spot in the Iditarod, the 1,000-mile sled dog race from Anchorage to Nome. Ryan Reddington, a Nanupiat with roots in Unalakleet, has been out in front in the last stretch of the race. 2019's Iditarod champ, Pete Kaiser, remains in second place. Kaiser is Yupik from Bethel. Richie Deal, a Denina Athabaskan from Antioch, was in third. Another Native musher, Mike Williams Jr., Yupik from Akiak, remains in the back of the pack, keeping a steady pace. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Support by Vision Maker Media, envisioning a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. 45-plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at your local news. According to Ubinet, Nevada County Transit Services reports minor schedule changes to several of their routes beginning today. Route 3 Loma Rica Loop at Railroad Avenue will no longer have on-demand served. On Route 4, the Brunswick Basin, the Hospitality House stop will no longer be served. Route 5 in Auburn, Mount Air Mobile Home Park and Professional Drive are now regular stops. And Route 6, Penn Valley, a 10 a.m. trip is now offered Monday through Saturday. Nevada County has received over $1.5 million in grant funding for the Forest Resilience Project. The funding comes from the Sierra Nevada Conservancy and will be used for forest resilience projects that aim to reduce wildfire risk and restore forest health. The grants have been awarded to three local agencies, the Yuba Watershed Institute, which received $1.2 million, the County of Nevada Office of Emergency Services, which received over $200,000 for reducing wildfire risk in an 800-acre area of forest on the San Juan Ridge, and the City of Nevada, which received over $100,000 to develop what is being called an Environmentally Sound Fuels Treatment Plan for heavily forested properties around the south side of Deer Creek. Let's take a look at your local forecast from the National Weather Service. The Sacramento Bee reminds us to enjoy the last few hours of quiet as the next atmospheric river storm approaches Northern California this evening, bringing what they call the far-too-familiar quartet, rain, snow, gusty winds, and thunderstorms. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight showers and possibly a thunderstorm with a low around 44 degrees. The storm could produce heavy rain with gusts as high as 22 miles per hour. New rainfall of 1 to 2 inches is possible. Tuesday, showers with the possibility of thunderstorms and a high near 51 degrees. 
Tuesday will be windy with gusts as high as 48 miles per hour. Expect an additional 1 to 2 inches of rain through Thursday afternoon. The National Weather Service reminds us that a flood watch remains in effect through Wednesday morning. A high wind warning is in effect from 5 a.m. to 11 p.m. Tuesday. Winds could get up to 60 miles per hour. These winds could blow down trees and power lines. The National Weather Service says widespread power outages are expected. In Trekkie and Lake Tahoe, tonight rain and snow with snow levels at 6,400 feet, a low around 31 degrees, new snow accumulation of less than half an inch possible. Tuesday, rain and snow becoming all rain after 8 a.m. The snow level will rise to over 8,000 feet. Tuesday sees a high near 40 degrees with gusts up to 40 miles per hour. Little or no snow accumulation is expected. The Truckee Tahoe area remains under a winter storm warning until 5 p.m. on Wednesday. Those at lower elevations won't see much snow on Tuesday and Wednesday. However, snow accumulation of 1 to 3 feet for those at elevations above 7,000 is expected Tuesday into Wednesday. Snow loading on structures will increase due to this additional rain and snow being absorbed into the deep snowpack. This means higher risks for dangerous roof avalanches. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight a chance of showers and thunderstorms with a low around 55 degrees. Winds could gust as high as 22 miles per hour. Tuesday, showers with the potential to produce heavy rains, thunderstorms after 3 p.m. with a high near 60 degrees. Tuesday will be windy with gusts as high as 50 miles per hour. New rainfall between 1 to 2 inches is possible. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. The extreme winter weather over the past few weeks brought daily routines for many to a screeching halt, including the daily drop-off and pick-up for students in Nevada County schools. What do extended school closures mean for schedules and normal June end dates? KVMR's Felton Pruitt discovers these answers and more up ahead. We're talking with Scott Lay. He's the Nevada County Superintendent of Schools. Thank you for joining us, Scott. You're very welcome. Nice to be here. Let's talk about snow days. How many snow days do you have built into your calendar that you can go with before you have to start extending the school year in June? Most school districts have about four. It can vary. Some have more, some have less. The minimum usually is three. But on average, there are four. So as you can guess, we've uh, exceeded that uh, by three or four days for each one of our school districts here in the county. Luckily for us, with, uh, well, potentially luckily for the kids, not for us, but students may not have to make those three or four days up. The the state recognizes how difficult it will be past the additional built-in snow days to schedule, uh, you know, school in June. And so there's a process called a waiver process. Uh, And all the school district will be, and, and charter schools will be partaking in that for the missed days because of this event. So let's talk about the process of deciding when to close the schools. Now, we're taping this interview on um, Monday morning. Now, tonight we have a major storm coming in, another atmospheric river, and they're predicting uh, wind gusts of between 40 to 60 miles an hour. So Tuesday morning is going to be interesting. How do you prepare for that? So what we do, we keep a close eye on the the weather forecast, as as you mentioned. Uh, We're in contact with our Operations of Emergency Services here in Nevada County. We have a, a direct tie to them and they to us. So we monitor the winds. We were lucky when the same thing was forecast, I believe it was last Friday, 
uh, and the winds and rain didn't come in as badly as projected. So we're we're hoping that they're not coming in as strong, but we're ready for it. We've kept an you know keeping an eye out on you know where potential flooding could be from the increased runoff from the snow melt here with the warmer system moving in, as well as any uh, weakened trees. That's another big concern for the county and for the schools is uh, more trees coming down that were uh, destabilized with the snow we've already had. So if anything comes up, we get a call around 5 in the morning. Uh, I would then send out uh, a notice to all our district superintendents, charter directors uh, to quickly get on a call and see where where any of the issues are. But at this time, we're not foreseeing that for tomorrow morning. Um, so everything should be good. What's the criteria? Is it like if two schools are down, if four schools are down, or if one school's down, you close that, but you open the other ones? How does that all work? Right. So what we do is in an event like a snow, when we, we know there's a serious event coming in the next day, and we have the snow days, we have a 5.30 a.m. phone call. And that's between charter directors, district superintendent, CHP, uh, Office of Emergency Services, uh, the school safety director here at my office and Durham Transportation, uh, and Sierra College joins in as well. So we all look at what, what's going on out there, uh, what the conditions are, what are they seeing. People are out driving the roads already, uh, so we can get a really good handle on that. Um, and then the decision if for buses, usually it impacts the Nevada Joint Union High School District, the Nevada City School District, Grass Valley School District, and Union Hill School District who have buses. Uh, and then down from there would be Twin Ridges. So we look at that, see if we can safely run the buses. If we can, and the Durham feels good about that, we go. If they don't, the schools then have a choice of you know trying to run school without buses, which is nearly impossible. Uh, we also need to look at can food be delivered from our two central kitchens, one in Grass Valley and then one at, the, at Nevada Union. So that's another factor that goes into it. We look at power. Are there power outages? But when it comes down to it, it's a district-by-district district decision. Uh, we had a, a day where we had what we'll consider the higher-up schools like Nevada City, Union Hill, and that, that were closed due to the bad road conditions. But we were able to keep Penn Valley, uh, Clear Creek, and, and Pleasant Ridge, and Chicago Park open. So it really is case-by-case, district-by-district. There are somewhere, most districts, when they close one school, they close all schools. And, and the odd one is always Nevada Union and Bear River, when the Nevada Joint Union High School District calls a day, it's usually all the schools in the system go down for that day. Let's also talk about snow loads on the roofs of all of the uh, schools out there. How many, I guess you've been out checking them all. Yeah, all the schools, they were very diligent in checking um, the the, uh, the roof uh, of their site, especially, you know, we got a call late one night from the county from OES saying, you know, they had, when the roof collapses started, so we went around. Luckily, all the public schools, no, there were no damage coming from roof collapses. We did have one, one private school that was Echo Ridge off Ridge Road, uh, and they lost their uh, gym facility, which was a terrible loss. It was sometime between March 4th and March 5th of that weekend, it went down. But that's the only damage that I'm aware of, you know, as far as is, is our larger structures. I'm sure we had a shed here or there that collapsed under the weight of the snow. Um, but but nothing nothing big. So that was uh, that was great. All right. Well, hopefully we're done with the snow now. I would like that. I think we'd all like that. I think yeah. we like snow for the first couple hours. Maybe the first day it's beautiful. But then when the power starts going out, you know, 
and this time with buildings collapsing, which we didn't have, uh, I don't believe, last December when we had the, the first uh, snowmageddon. So uh, that, that was a unique feature, and, and certainly we don't want that to happen again. We've been talking with Scott Lay. He's the Nevada County Superintendent of Schools. Uh, we wish you all the best keeping our schools open for the rest of the semester, Scott. Thank you very much, Felton. I appreciate it. That's our newscast for Monday, March 13th. Visit us online at kvmr.org and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. KVMR is grateful for support from generous listeners like you. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Tuesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.